Uh, You've probably heard the saying in the schoolyard, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, right? And if you were on the receiving end of hearing that, you're probably like, you know, of receiving a, a, a name and you threw that word back or that catchphrase back. You probably said it really confidently, but deep down inside, there was probably a little bit of like, well, that thing that that person said actually did kind of affect me a little bit. Now, some of you, um, when you're younger, maybe you're on, this, on the receiving end of that, but others of you, like myself, you're probably on, on the giving end of that, uh, dishing out some names. I remember a couple of times where people sort of threw some names at me and I would, you know, do my best to fight back and retaliate and fire a name back at them. Um, if, if the person who said it to me was much bigger than me, then I would kind of mutter it under my breath, you know, or think it in my head because I didn't want to mess with some of those guys um, for, what, for fear of what would happen to me. Um, recently I was on the phone and Cherie was in the same room, my wife, and she overheard me talking and I was ha- I'm having this discussion. I get off the phone and she says, what are you doing t- t- talking about this particular detail of this thing that I was talking about? You didn't need to go on about that. And straight away, as soon as she said that, I just snapped back at her. I'm like, oh, you do the same thing all the time. You give away too much information on your phone calls, this, that, and the other. Um, Last week, Sheree, I'll tell you a good story now about Sheree, she showed her love and appreciation for me by going out of her way to organise a bit of a date night for us, which is really cool. It was a a surprise, or meant to be a surprise for me. Um, The day before, my son Matthias comes into the room and goes, hey dad, did you know that Lockie and Ellie are coming around to our place tomorrow and you and mum are going on a special date? Uh, But I'm not actually meant to tell you that, so this is a secret. He couldn't even keep his mouth shut, my son... Oh, the other day I came down the stairs at my place and I turned the corner at the handrail and I scraped my side and I said some words to the effect of gosh darn it or similar. Uh, last weekend, like many of you, you're probably watching some of the election night coverage and uh, well, some people shaking their head, no, I wasn't watching any of that. I was doing something way more productive and interesting and entertaining. Uh, but those of you who might have been, um, for me, I was watching some of it and as I was watching it in my head, the first things that came out of my mouth or that were in my head as a part of seeing these politicians talking about things was kind of judgmental criticism um, type words that were firing out of my mouth. Now I say all of these things, I give you all these examples to basically give us a bit of a focus on our words and our tongues because I think it's fair to say that we struggle to control our tongues, not only at the worst of times, often at the best of times in life as well. And our words, they are super powerful and important. Let me give you a really, really awesome quote here. Dumbledore said the following in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. He said, words are in my my not-so-humble opinion our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. Building on that, there's an author by the name of Yehuda Berg and he said that words have the ability to help hinder, hurt, heal, harm, humiliate, and to humble. Lots of H's there. Uh, Mother Teresa said that kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. Bear with me for this next example. It might be a little bit woo-woo, and it might be urban myth, 
but go with it, go with me here. Japanese scientist Masamuru Emoto, he tested the power of spoken words. He placed two cups of cooked white rice in two separate mason jars and fixed the lids in place, labelling one jar, thank you, and he labelled the other jar, you fool. The jars were left in an elementary school classroom and the students were instructed to speak the words on the label to the corresponding jars twice a day. After 30 days, the rice in the jar that was constantly insulted had shriveled into a black gelatinous mass. The rice in the jar that was thanked was as white and as fluffy as the day it was made. Bit woo-woo, I know. But now, I say all that again to say that The words that come out of our mouths, they have an impact. And like I said, at the best of times and the worst of times, we struggle to control our tongues. You know, we speak on average 7,000 words a day. Some of you, you're like, no way, I speak way more than that. Others of you, I'm like, no way, I speak way less than that. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at this idea of taming the tongue. That's what we're going to look at. That's kind of the title for our message. What does this mean to actually tame our tongues? Why should we try to tame it? And what is it about our tongues that actually need taming? And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read from James. We are up to chapter 3, verse 1 to 12 uh, this evening. And it will be up on the screen for you as well, if I can get my clicker going. Here we go. Come on. There we go. And this is James. He's writing to the 12 tribes that have been scattered in the dispersion. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. There we go. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. 
Lots and lots in those 12 verses there coming from James. It's interesting to note, right off the top, he says about how not many people should become teachers because you'll be judged more strictly. And there's a weight, I guess, that being a teacher um, carries, a, a responsibility and a level of influence. And so he's saying that the words the teachers speak, they're going to be judged more strictly. And that's a strict warning specifically to these people who have been teaching the faith at the time. But just as quickly as James focuses on teachers and tells us they are going to be judged more strictly with their words, he then gets to verse 2 and he says that we all stumble, all of us. He says anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect. He uses the word perfect here. They're able to keep their whole body in check. And so what he's saying here is that the tongue is just so difficult for for us to control that anyone who can do so is perfect. Let's make this really straightforward in terms of some of the bad ways or the ways that we can use our tongues that aren't good. What are we talking about here? We're talking about things like this, gossiping, boasting, slandering others, abuse, uh, telling dirty jokes, speaking crudely, cursing, lying, criticizing, complaining, betraying, thinking ill thoughts about others or thinking ill thoughts towards others. Now, if you're able to control your tongue and not do any of these things, plus anything else that you can think of that is not good with your tongues, then you are perfect, But I actually don't think it's limited just to to this, as far as what we say. I think it also extends as far as our thought life and the way that we actually think as well. If you criticise other people in your head, if you speak crudely or mutter words maybe under your breath, like I kind of did it back in the schoolyard, if you complain about other people in your mind, this is part of taming the tongue here that James is actually speaking about. But I want to go another step further. We're talking about spoken life, thought life. Your digital life counts as well in this space. Everything that we do online, everything that you like or dislike, everything that you comment on, everything that you read and take in and make some sort of thought about, especially when we're talking about social media. You know, commenting negatively on something is sometimes really easy to do if you're anonymous online, isn't it? It's, you're just like, I'll just punch that, uh, that comment in, no one knows who it's come from, and that's out there now in the ether. And so, our digital life matters when it comes to our words as well. But like James said, when it comes to taming our tongue or when it comes to using our tongue, we all make mistakes, we all stumble in many ways. Uh, But I don't think it should be a relief to you to know that the person that you are sitting next to tonight does this, that, that they make mistakes. I don't think that is the particular point. I think what we should be recognizing is that this is a difficult thing for every single one of us. Let's keep on reading, verse number three. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example, he says, that although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. James is great at doing this, at at creating images or painting pictures for us to think about what it is that, that he is talking about. And here he uses these two examples, the rudder and the bit. 
A bit is this tiny thing, most of you will know, it goes in a horse's mouth, it's got the reins attached to it, the jockey or the person on the back uh, turns, pulls the rein, it go, the, the horse feels it in the bit, it turns its head and it walks. The whole entire big horse is moved by this small, tiny bit that is inside the mouth of the horse. Same thing with the rudder. This small rudder at the back of the ship uh, moves the entire boat, the entire vessel, and it goes forward from there. But James also here, he, he speaks about these strong winds that get driven. And so the rudder can actually, when these winds come for a boat, these external forces that come into play, James is saying that a boat can avoid getting dashed on a rocks by using its rudder to steer the vessel overall. And then he says in verse 5, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. And so he's saying the tongue is like the bit, the tongue is like the rudder, it's this small part of the body, it, but it's this active thing, it's not idle, it's constantly moving and it directs and it guides the body just like the rudder and the bit do. You know, when we think about asking questions like, what, what is it about um, temptations and urges that drive us to sin? What is it about these things that, that make us not perfect in our speech? James asks a question that none of us really think about here. He takes the focus to the tongue and he says, do we control our tongues? When the, the forces of life, when they blow on us, when, you know, juggling multiple demands between work and study, when your, your social life, when managing your finances and, and your relationships and your family life, when all the pressures come on you, when things go wrong, you get that flat tire on the way to someone's 21st, or whatever it is, he asks the question, how do we control our tongues? A little bit of an interesting question to ask, right? But this is the one that he says... Because what he wants, to know, wants us to know is that if you can control the tongue, then you can control yourself. Now, that equal sign is meant to be between those two words right there. <laughs> Just like the small bit controls the rudder, control the tongue, James is saying here, and you're actually able to control your whole self, your whole body. I want you to ask this question to yourself this evening. Do I control my tongue or does my tongue control me? I think that's an important question for us to just pause and think about. Do I control my tongue or does my tongue control me? Because James here has a pretty strong warning for us that is about to come up. Here's what he says in the second part of verse 5 and 6. He says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, it sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Again, pretty intense, vivid images that James is painting for us right here. This entire forest set ablaze. You know, just think about that picture. Uh, we, we can think about the bushfires back a couple of years ago. We don't need to. We saw those images. They were, they were very vivid. And he's saying, uh, like, just like a tiny spark that wreaks havoc, 
It, it doesn't stay as that spark. It causes great destruction and devastation. Um, you know, trees and vegetation get burnt down. Um, wildlife in their natural habitat get displaced and, and die. Uh, smoke and pollution fill the air for kilometres and kilometres. Um, there's a, an inex, inescapable kind of heat that, and an intensity that is there that is a part of a bushfire. And, it, and that all starts from this really small spark. But also think about that picture of a small spark. It's only small to start with, but it doesn't stay like that, does it? It grows and it spreads and it consumes. And, and as it does that, it actually becomes more and more powerful and it causes more and more harm and destruction. And this is how James is describing the tongue to us here. He's saying this is a powerful member of your body and it's able to cause great harm. It's able to cause destruction and devastation. He says it's a world of evil among our bodies and corrupts our bodies. I will never forget the time that I got adult chicken pox. Trust me, you don't want to get it. If you haven't had, if you haven't had chicken pox and you didn't get your, your shot when you are younger, I would recommend going to get it because it is not fun. Itches, fevers, aching muscles. I was out of action for two weeks, I reckon. Now, I've got some images to put up on the screen, but before I do, I want to give anyone a chance who's a little bit squeamish and maybe wants to look away to, uh, to maybe close your eyes for a moment. But I'll also warn you, it's not too bad, I think. It, it, it's def it definitely makes me, at the moment, look, look pretty good, I reckon, compared to these other pictures. So if you want to look away, look away now. But here is a three-stage um, shot of my chicken pox. So there you can see me. This is, this is back a few years ago. And day one, I had a few little pox breaking out. Um, then day two, a few more. I'm starting to look pretty tired by that stage as well. And then day three, yeah, well, you can see what happened to me right then and there. I had them everywhere. Like, and I'll, let me tell you this. I had these things in my mouth on my tongue as well, right? It was... It was horrible. Unfortunately for me, chickenpox didn't stay at that day one status. It grew. It spread. It stained my entire body, head to toe, under the soles of my feet. It was hard to move in bed when I was trying to sleep. And this is what James is saying happens with our tongues. This is like our tongues. The words that we actually speak out they affect our whole self. They affect our whole bodies. They stain us. It's not just one little thing. It, it affects everything. Everywhere the tongue goes, it makes its presence felt. It leaves its stain. I remember working in a previous job and there was one particular employee who was particularly negative about a whole bunch of things. Um, they would basically, you know, say negative things about other staff members, sometimes directly to them, sometimes behind their back. They would complain about things, about how the, we did things in the workplace, the systems and the processes, and they would just carry this posture and this general demeanour that was kind of just felt very heavy and weighty and, and not good. And when I think about working with that person in my experience, I'm sad to say that it just wasn't a great one in terms of how their tongue had actually affected their entire self. I could see that the way that they were talking really 
stained and affected everything that they did in the workplace in different ways. In verse 6, it says that the tongue actually sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. That's pretty strong words right there. All right, let's keep reading verse 7 and 8. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Hang on a second. What is James saying here? One minute he's saying control the tongue, control your entire self. And now here he's saying no human being can tame the tongue. A bit strange, right? A little bit strange. If no human being can tame the tongue, then we've got a problem on our hands. I... Um, I learn a lot about wildlife in my family, thanks to my son, Matthias. He has definitely earned the nickname Nature Boy. And um, we were watching this documentary one time on the five most deadly snakes in Australia. And number one is the coastal taipan. And we were watching this footage of these people trying to get um, close to this coastal taipan. This thing is deadly. You don't stand a chance in the wild if you're bitten by one of these things. And anyway, this coastal taipan was... Every, it, it never stopped moving. It seemed really agitated. It was fast on its feet. The, you know, the poor thing was probably scared. Let's, I don't want to give it a bad rap. Don't go trying to hunt down any of these, these um, coastal taipans. But this, this snake never stopped moving. It was ready to strike and inflict its poison at any given moment while these people were trying to look at um, the snake. And it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And this is, again, the picture that James is trying to paint for us about our tongues. It's restless, it's, it's moving, and it's ready to strike. And when it does, it's going to inflict deadly poison. So no one can tame the tongue. On our own, we're actually destined for failure. If we stop reading the passage right here, We've hit a dead end, it seems like. We've got nowhere to go, but thankfully James gives us something in the final few verses. Let's read from verse 9 to the end of the passage. He says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So here what we see is this duality of the tongue. The tongue that's used to both bless or praise and curse as well. James says, out of the same mouth come praise and and cursing. And then he gets really direct in the letter here. He says, you know, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. I can imagine when he's penning this, um, the emotion that potentially he's putting into that. He's like, this is not the way it should be. You should not be using your tongues in this way, my brothers and sisters. You don't speak blessings one day and then cursing another. You don't praise God one moment and then use profanity and blasphemous words the next. Yet how often I think I do this, how often do we do this, am I right? 
It's so easy to do. How many times maybe have you even gone away from just an amazing time of worship, um, whether it's here or at home or in your car or just a time spent with God and then kind of in the next sentence or, or the next little moment or passage of time, use your tongue inappropriately. He's saying this is not the way that it should be for us. And then James asks about whether fresh and salt water can actually flow from the same source and whether a fig tree can bear olives, a grapevine bear figs. And of course the answer to that is no, they cannot. They are going to bear what is natural to them, aren't they? Um, the fresh spring of water doesn't contain salt water or, or other stuff. Um, if it did, it would be polluted. You know, you can look at a fresh spring of water and usually it's, it's clear and you can see down to the bottom, you can see the rocks, but put anything else in there. Put some other liquid or some other dirt and mud and it's not so clear, it gets uh, polluted. And this is the picture of our tongues that James is painting here. When we speak praise out of our mouths, it's clear, but then when we speak curses or we speak ill words, the pollution comes, the corruption comes. This is how the tongue pollutes and corrupts and defiles us. But I think another thing that he's trying to say here as he, as he closes out this passage is that the source is consistent in what it produces. A fresh spring of water will consistently produce fresh water. As long as it's not polluted, that source is, of water is going to be the same thing. And James here, he is directing us to the source. He's been speaking about us putting faith and works together and putting our faith in Jesus. And he is now directing us to this point in knowing Jesus, in seeing him at the center of our lives. Because without him there, when it comes to the words that come out of our mouths, we're never going to be able to control our tongues well. Without Jesus directing us, we'll continue to speak both blessings and curses. Without the Holy Spirit prompting us to hold our tongues in that moment, that you maybe want to make that inappropriate comment, we're never going to be able to control our tongues. And when it comes to a model example of appropriately using our tongues, I think we can look no further than the ultimate example, that is Jesus when he was here on earth. Because the way he's interacted with others throughout his life, he gave us very clear direction when it comes to using our tongues. So to finish our time here, I want to get a little bit practical. We're talking about faith and works going together. And we're going to look at three ways that we can be consistent with the use of our tongues. Okay? Number one, know the value of silence. Jesus showed us this how he valued not speaking over speaking many, many times. There was this Canaanite woman who came to Jesus and, and, he pl and she pleaded with him and she said, my daughter is, is being tormented by demons, please heal her. And in that moment, Jesus actually didn't speak. And if the passage kind of end there, you think, well, what's going on, Jesus? Like, you've left this woman um, hanging and she was clearly desperate. But maybe she wasn't because then this woman comes back to Jesus later and she pleads and she's, she's got a new sense about herself. And that is when Jesus chooses to speak and he speaks directly to her in that moment. Know the value of silence. 
If we're honest with ourselves, we tend to like the sound of our own voices, don't we? We like to weigh in on things. We like to comment. We like to put our two cents worth in. Uh, If we look around us, we look at the way the world and others respond, often it's not just this little, small, nice, petite, concise statement. It's usually this massive, big, extreme reaction. Whoa, amazing. Or it's this meh, whatever reaction. Um, Know the value of silence. We don't always need to speak and we don't always need to weigh in. When someone tells that dirty joke, you don't always need to react or respond. You can keep your mouth shut. When that person says something that maybe gets you really riled up over really small detail, know the value of silence. And I reckon if we do this, we can learn to do something that's arguably even more valuable to us, and that is listen. So how can you understand the value of silence in your own life? Maybe there's someone that you think of that you verbally clash with all the time, a family member, How can you actually use silence this week to navigate that situation better? Number two, watch your tone. Jesus used his tone of voice in so many different ways. He used it to rebuke, to correct, to show empathy and kindness, to command, to be direct, to show passion, sternness, all these ways. John 4, the woman at the well, he used a gentle tone of voice interacting with her. The Sermon on the Mount, he used a commanding tone of voice. The woman caught in adultery, he used a tone of kindness. As he was leaving his disciples, he was reassuring in his tone, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, don't be troubled, don't be afraid. Watch your tone of voice, your tone matters, it's important. And you know, I reckon sometimes we might not even realise what our tone of voice is like. We kind of have to sometimes step outside of ourselves and see ourselves from a distance to realise our tone might be a little bit off. And now I'm not saying that we need to always present a certain type of tone and be, be fake in the way we respond, but how, how many times do we kind of maybe get a bit irritated or agitated by something that's happened and we let that kind of mood bleed over into our conversations and our interactions with other people. That's an important thing to watch our tone. Digitally, in a world where so much of our conversation is digital, how, what does it mean for tone? Because a lot of tone either gets misinterpreted or completely lost. There is no amount of emojis that you can send that will fully get your tone of voice across. So think about that when you're engaging online. That's an important thing. The way that you're reading out a text might not be the way that someone else reads out a text and vice versa. If you're reading that text to receive from someone, don't just jump to the conclusion that it necessarily means that the tone is what you currently think as well. Number three, think before you speak. It goes without saying, but it is harder to master in a world that thrives off instant gratification and reactions. James has been going on about this already in chapter one. He says that we've got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And Jesus, with his interactions, he was always thoughtful. He looked for ways to teach others about God's kingdom but he was never careless in his words that he spoke. He thought before he spoke and we should think, we should seek to do the same. 
you know, just to close, um, I just think of some examples of how, you know, God's been working and changing me in these ways and I do not get this right a lot of the time. I just want to put that disclaimer out there straight away. Sometimes I am so quick to speak, especially with my family members, you know, I just want to jump in and tell them, this is what needs to happen or I reckon that's wrong or whatever it is. And I've seen a change in the last little while just by adopting a really simple practice. And this is what's worked for me. I'm not saying it's something that you need to do and I'm not saying it's a formula that's going to solve everything when it comes to taming our tongues. But I've just tried to pause for three seconds when I sense that I'm maybe getting agitated or I'm not in a state where I'm able to respond well. I'm just pa- I just pause for three seconds and then I respond if I need to. And that allows me to do those three things. In pausing, I know the value of silence. I'm able to think before I speak. And if I can do that, then I'm able to also watch my tone that I push across. And I have been convicted of this. um, and, And just even in putting this message together, I've really been convicted of this over the week as to how I need to tame my own tongue. But not only have I been convicted, I see the value in this. There is great value in us actually being bothered to do this. Being bothered not just to walk out that door and continue to go down the path of speaking gossip and slander and abuse and all those things that we spoke about. There is real value. God wants us to take this seriously. This is a part of our spiritual development that is important. I mean, the benefits are huge. For example, you're going you're gonna, to get a greater sense of self-control if you can control your tongue. And who doesn't want more self-control, right? You'll be more in control then of your life, as James said, you tame the tongue, you can control yourself. And on top of all of that, of course, there is the positive influence that comes in using our words and our tongue well. I want to invite the band to come up now. And uh, you guys can just start playing. And we're going to pray in a minute. And I want to give us an opportunity just to respond right now to what James is saying. Because none of us, as we've said, get it right with our our tongues. We've used our tongues to bless and to curse. We've hurt others with our tongues. We've started fires, maybe, with our tongues. And so what we're going to do in a moment is I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me on the screen. And I'd love for us to pray it out aloud together because by doing that, by praying it out loud together, we're we're using the very things that we've been speaking about for the last half an hour or so. And this is a prayer that recognizes our limitations, that we aren't perfect, we don't get things right, but it also welcomes in the grace of God and His power and His strength for us to be able to do this well with Him. And so uh, we might turn the lights down and, and I might get you guys to stand. And I want to invite you now to read these words out with me together out loud as we pray this prayer to finish our time together. Okay, here we go. Father, I mess things up all the time and I do not rely on you the way I should. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've thought things I shouldn't have thought. But I thank you 
that my weakness will not stop you from loving me or working through me. Please forgive me for the ways I've misused my tongue and fill me with your spirit. You love me way beyond my wildest dreams. Even when I am broken and failing and feel like I have nothing to offer, you still care for me just as much. I am the apple of your eye and I know that you will love me forever as you have promised. Please help me to use my tongue to bless you and bless others. Help me to know when to be silent and when to speak. Help me to use my tone of voice well. Help me to think before I open my mouth. Would my speech be uplifting and pleasing in your eyes? I thank you that when I rest in your strength and not my own, that I can do this. I commit the use of my tongue to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.